We are in Acts today. We're in chapter 2. If you did pick up the blue Bible under your chair, that's page 1008. We've got one whole verse to read, so hopefully you can follow along. That's Acts 2, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well done, Andrew. Jimmy Curley, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest announcement man that this church has ever known. So you're wondering why there's two of us up here. We're going to tag team this today. Um, my wife is always convinced that my job is way easier than hers, and the fact that it takes two of us to prepare one message, it is not helping my case. So we are both up here today. This is Xavier. My name's Josh. If you're new, welcome to Redemption Church North Mountain. But here's why we're both up here. We're going to talk about health today. Specifically, healthy church, healthy discipleship, healthy Christians. And I'm at Redemption Church because I was attracted to their emphasis on health. They weren't talking about all these things that didn't draw me in. They were talking about, we want healthy disciples and healthy leaders. So I moved from Fort Worth, Texas, which I love. It's the place I would live if ministry had not called me here to be a part of this church. And I was called here because of their emphasis on health. Numbers, glitz, glamour, all that stuff is nice, but health is what we're about. And then this guy is our recent hire. He's been here just over a year, and he's hired because we want healthy disciples. So for those of you that don't know, just explain your title and then what that means in terms of health and church. Yeah, so uh, one thing just to share, too, is the reason I'm at Redemption is because I saw healthy pastors here. Hmm. And I said, I really want to be around those pastors so that I can grow to be like them, too. So uh, I got hired on to be the communities and formation pastor, which uh, if you've been part of church, churches just make up names for <laughs> titles. So um, hence the title of my job. <laughs> so uh, my role, though, coming on here is specifically to kind of behind the scenes build systems for people to come through our front doors and as years go on, uh, two, three, four years, that they would grow to be more like Jesus and more aware of his presence in their lives, which is up in the clouds. And the whole role, my role, is to bring those ideas in the clouds to make them practical and real for all of us in this room. Beautiful. You're doing a great job, so we'll see how today goes. But uh, if you've been a part of Redemption Church for a long time, this is different than what normally happens. We usually just have a book of the Bible, we're in it, and then you come the next week and we're just starting in the next verse. So just so you know, starting next week, we're going to kick off the book of Esther, which is a trip of a book. It's an awesome, beautiful uh, just crazy book in the Old Testament that shows God's sovereignty. God's name is never mentioned in that book, and yet his fingerprints are all over it. So we start Esther, and that'll take us to Easter. But in January, we're in this series, In Phoenix as it is in Heaven. Where does that come from? It's from the Lord's Prayer. Those of you that grew up in church know this. If you didn't grow up in church, you might not know this, but this is maybe the most famous prayer prayed amongst Catholics, Eastern Orthodox, Christians, Lutherans, you name it, for all of time. For the last 2,000 years. For our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if you're Catholic or Lutheran, you have another part you want to say, but that's not in the Bible. So we'll stop there. What we're doing is that middle part, in Phoenix as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. That's why we planted this church. That's my prayer as a dad for my kids as I think about them in high school and college and beyond. I want heaven to come down and be near my boys. 
I want them to experience heaven, not just in eternity when they die and go meet him, but now in Phoenix, we pray that God would come down and heaven would be here. Now we know that's not fully going to be realized until Jesus comes back one day, but that is our prayer. And here's been our bold statement that you may or may not agree with. We think the way that happens primarily from what we see in scripture is this, through simple, local, healthy congregations or churches, meaning God's miraculous work of bringing heaven to earth based off the finished work of Jesus Christ and the ongoing work of his spirit. How does that happen? Through this very mundane, ordinary thing that everyone walking into Dollar Tree right now could care less about what this is. But God says this is how heaven comes to earth, through the gathering of spirit-filled, Jesus-loving Christians. This is a big deal, even though it doesn't look like that big a deal. This is how heaven comes to earth. So that's what our series has been. And my, my big idea, it's not on the screen, but the aim of our church is health above all else. That doesn't mean Jesus is on the side. Jesus is at the center of that. We'll get to that. But health, that's what we're aiming for. Numbers, blah. Hype, blah. Health. And that takes time. So here's the sort of formula we're going to walk through today just so you can track with us. We're going to talk about the gospel, safety, formation, and time. Gospel, safety, formation, and time as we talk about health today. So that's what we're doing. My first question is this. I asked this today in one young girl who was in here as I was prepping the sermon answer. So are you a healthy person right now? Like health is a word we all get, and yet we don't really want the answer all the time. Like I wrote down, you could gauge it based off your weight, your sleep, that pesky BMI, which I've never been in the category that I'm supposed to be in. So I just dismiss it as some insurance made fraud. <laughs> your strength, your cardio ability, your mental health, your financial health, your spiritual health. Are you a healthy person right now? And then the follow-up question is, are we a health? Because if we're going to get up here and say health, 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 are we a healthy congregation? Is this, is the Redemption family of churches a healthy setup? Or was I just duped? from the distance in Texas, looking in on this thing, thinking, oh, they're great, and it's actually very unhealthy. So a lot of people have tried to gauge, what does it mean to be a healthy church? One of my favorite guys, a guy named Mark Dever, he's in Washington, D.C. He's a, just a wonderful pastor. He created a ministry called Nine Marks. This is probably the thing I line up with most. It's not going to be what we use today, but here's how he would say a church can know if it's a healthy church. They must have exegetical preaching. You're like, what is that? That means book by book. It must have a biblical theology. It must have the gospel. It must have a biblical view of conversion, meaning you must be converted from darkness into light under the lordship of Jesus. It must have healthy evangelism. It must have covenantal church membership where people can be disciplined out of that church. It must have discipline as a follow-up. There must be people who are called to repentance, and if they don't repent, are asked to do what the New Testament says, go and treat them as non-believers. It must have discipleship, and it must have a healthy view of leadership. That's a lot, and I agree with all that. I think Acts 2.42, what Mr. Andrew just read, is probably the greatest picture God has given us of just, hey, church, don't, don't goof around. Don't get too big for your britches. Keep it simple. Here's what a healthy church, here's the pinnacle of the church. And it's right as the Spirit was laid on them. Acts 2.42, here's the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread 
and the prayers. And then verse 43 through the end goes to say what God does because the church focuses on health. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's the New Testament picture of a healthy church. Healthy does not mean no problems. You flip a couple pages and somebody's sleeping with a step-parent. It's like, whoa, that escalated quickly. It sure did, because humans walk into churches, and humans have problems. But this is the picture of a healthy church. Just for the life of me, for the last 10 years, the, the thing that's like been in my mind when I think about health, I've thought about it primarily as I used to be a youth pastor, as I looked at families and I had to counsel families through stuff, is this family have a good culture? There's this thing I got from a pastor in Nashville named Ray Orland, but he would say this. Here's what a good, healthy culture involves. Gospel plus safety plus time. And in bad family environments, I would see a dad, usually, that did not provide a safe place for their kids, especially when they weren't enjoyable to be around. The gospel plus safety plus time. This is what the church needs. However, all of these are uh, passive things that you could receive just by sitting right now and not doing anything. What we want to do is flesh it out based off the Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There's something that we devote ourselves to. So here's our formula we're walking through today. Gospel plus safety plus, we'll say, intentional formation plus time. That's the aim of a healthy church. That's been our aim. That's what drew me to this church. That's what keeps me as a pastor. That's what keeps me up at night. That is our hope. So that's what we're walking through. First up is the gospel, and our man, Xavier Salazar, has an answer for what is the gospel. Um, when, when we think about that... Do you disagree with anything I said so far? Uh, I'll tell you after. Okay. I'm, <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, no, when we speak about our church, when we think about health, the reason that gospel is actually first is because health requires a solid foundation. Like, it's essential for us to have something as a church to actually stand on together. So to kind of explain this, I think that every person in this room and outside of this room has a specific framework that they see the world through, whether that's intentional or not. And it's through that framework that the rest of their lives is shaped on. We all have a framework that shapes our thoughts, our decisions, our habits. We have a framework that shapes what we think the good life is or the solution of evil or where we find hope. And for the most part, the main foundation for people's framework in the West is one thing. So Dr. Robert Bella says it well. He says the defining trait of America is radical individualism. And I'm bringing this up intentionally because I think it impacts the way that we create health at our church. If we were all honest, it is very easy for a lot of us to be shaped by this trait. So I think of it this way. Um, I, I have some relatives and friends that I have some Mormon relatives. I have some Muslim friends. I have some Christian people in my life that we have conversations around this. We say, what's the framework for your life? And I just have this conversation with them. They tell me, the story of how they came to believe what they believe. They typically communicate how that framework, though, has made them a better person or has benefited them in some way. Say, well, is my family or is because someone introduced me to this? But ever since I enter into this, I'm a better person now. So I want you to hear this. They usually explain this by saying, uh, I believe this, 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 and now I'm a better person because I don't drink anymore or my finances are better or my fitness is better and so on. And I don't think these are bad things in and of themselves. 
where I think this goes sideways is who the focus is on. Because at some point in the conversation, I'll bring up truth. Well, I think those are good things, but what is truth? Is what I believe true? Is what you believe true? And what they'll usually communicate back to me is, well, what works for you works for you, and what works for me works for me. We should all seek to be better people in one way or another, and we should appreciate and support the ways others have become better people. The framework of individualism communicates we must find our own truth so that we can be the best version of ourselves, whether that comes from Allah or Jesus or yoga or Jordan Peterson. Like, we just need to find our own way of finding truth. You just went after Jordan Peterson like that. Oh. No, I... <laughs> we could talk after. All right, so uh, this is really important for us to notice, though, because it gives all of us the temptation to believe in a God that looks more like us rather than submitting to a God that never changes so that we could actually be shaped to, be, to become more like him. So as a church, what makes us healthy or unhealthy is what our foundation is built on and what our framework of the world is built on. So if we as a church have no framework or no foundation, or if we have multiple frameworks and foundations, then there is not a truth for us to stand on. Hmm. So for us, what is our foundation? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not Josh's ideas. He has some good ideas sometimes, but that's not where our foundation's on. It's not mine or Jack DeBarlow's or any other person in this. It's not our ideas. Our foundation is built on the person and the work of Jesus. This is why we say every week, all of life is all for Jesus. Our foundation is built on the good news revealed from God through the scriptures. The good news of the same God from the Old Testament who was faithful to his people. He put on flesh and he lived the life we couldn't live. Then on the cross, he died the death we deserved and we couldn't die. And then there was a, this is what we believe as Christians, a literal resurrection. And through that, he defeated death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now he intercedes on our behalf as we wait for his return. The reason that the true gospel is essential is because how it actually shapes our reality. Not just as a church, but as people. When we repent and we confess our sins and we change our mind about our source of life and turn to Jesus accepting the good news, we're invited into a new life with a new foundation and a new framework and a new community, brothers and sisters. We embrace the good news that Jesus is our perfect sacrifice that saves us from our sin and our separation from the Father. But not only that, we also embrace that Jesus is the perfect king that rules and reigns over our lives even when all the politics around us are going crazy. We confess that Jesus is our perfect doctor that will heal all our wounds, even as we're patient for his return. That Jesus is our perfect rabbi that teaches us a new way of living our day-to-day -day lives. Hmm. And that Jesus is our perfect hope that will restore all things when he returns. The only way our church can actually stay healthy is if we're centered around Jesus and the truth that's revealed in the scriptures. I just think about this passage, 1 Corinthians 3.11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Health for our church is all about setting our eyes on him. Beautiful. Uh, the next part is safety, which is just uh, creating space where we can set our eyes 
on Jesus. So safety or safe is an interesting word. Safe spaces is a buzzword amongst universities especially, which is ironic that places like Harvard say they are the safest place on earth, and yet their president has recently resigned because it's not as safe as they claim to be. So, like, this is a hot topic right now. And we're claiming we must be a safe place, a place of safety. Are we saying we want safe spaces? Just so you know, safe spaces, here's what they mean when they talk about it in the academic world. A place or environment in which a person or category of people can feel confident that they will not be exposed to discrimination, criticism, harassment, or any other emotional or physical harm. We don't want to beat people up. We don't want to discriminate. However, we're going to offend people. If you're never offended here, then we've punted on our responsibility. Just that's how I read the scripture. Safe does not mean we want a place where we do not preach, teach, and model the narrow road to life. Safe also doesn't mean I want you to check all your opinions at the door and bring in some neutered version of yourself into the space so that we can all get along. That's not what we mean. Safety is far deeper than that. What does it mean that we want to be safe? Here's what it means. It means Christians acknowledge the importance of the environment created in the process of discipleship. Meaning the environments we're creating, whether it's a Sunday gathering, an RCA, counseling room, a kid's environment, safety must be there or learning and discipleship will not happen. And here's the other thing I acknowledge. We can only control what we can control. I'm not going to be the parent calling Shadow Mountain High School every time my kid is offended or made fun of because he's a Christian or heterosexual or whatever. That's... It's not my job to control that environment. It's my job as a pastor to cultivate and lead and shepherd this environment and help us do it. So we can control what we can control. One of my favorite books, it's called The Other Side of the Church. It talks about just the brain process in learning. And I want to read it. It's not on the screen, but it says this is what's happening with each of us as we walk into environments. The right brain processes these questions. Who is happy to see me here? What do I feel right now? Is there anyone here who understands me? How do I act like myself right now? What do my people do in this situation? The answers to these questions drive our character development. He summarized it with this question. Is this a place where someone like me will be loved? We want to be safe in terms of any type of person can come in here and feel like, I think this is a place I can be loved. How is that going to happen? As I've like thought, 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 what is it that makes that possible? There's two things that just keep bubbling to the top. The first is this grace. Grace is this place has to be filled with people who know they did not get what they deserved. They got far better. That's called grace. God did not treat me like I deserved. He treated me far better. He treated Jesus like I deserved to be treated on the cross. That is grace. It's people that know they're not good. Netflix recently went on this crazy adding of new movies. Equalizer 3 is on Netflix now, and my wife goes on a four-hour dinner with her girlfriends the other day, so what do I do? I watch every movie that my wife would never watch. (laughs) Robert McCall, Denzel Washington, one of the greatest characters ever. He's taken this little town. He's shot up, of course, and the town doctor's taking care of him, and he asks him, are you good or bad? And Denzel says, I don't know. Towards the end of the movie, Denzel's like, why'd you help me? You asked me if I was good or bad. I said, I don't know. He said, only a good man would answer that way. There's this reality to being a Christian is like, we just know, left to ourselves, 
I don't know which way I would have headed. I don't know where I would have ended up. I, are you good or bad? At my very best, I still hesitate to answer good because I know I'm such a twisted reality. Are you good or bad? I don't know. But thanks be to God for the grace of God for me. Grace, 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 grace. Here's the other one. I'll call it guardrails to keep it two G's. The Bible calls it leadership. We need healthy leaders, and specifically healthy elders, pastors, to cultivate this environment. Elders are called to be model citizens, model fathers, model husbands, able to teach and create a healthy environment. The only thing that the New Testament says, hey, this sort of person, I would scoot them out the door. Don't let them think about being an elder. Any idea? Some of you are like, Democrat. No, it's not. (laughs) It's new converts. Baby Christians, young Christians, young, cocky men. Why? Because they will be conceited and they will not cultivate a gospel of grace because they'll think they're the ones that did the work. And God says, don't you take credit for what I'm doing in you, young man. You need a few more reps around the sun to experience grace in a real way before I'll let you shepherd my people. Isaac Newton, one of the famous hymn writers, he says this, grace finds the sinner in a hopeless state, sitting in the darkness and in the shadow of death. That was my experience as an 18-year-old. Andrew's experience as a guy in Seattle, Washington, your experience, if you're honest with yourself, I was a helpless state and God found me. He goes on to say, God knows my heart. He knows I wish to be like him. And yet I am not what I hope to be yet. I'm not what I once was, a child of sin and a slave of the devil. Though not all these, not what I ought to be, not what I might be, not what I wish or hope to be, and not what I once was, I can truly say with the apostle, I'll say this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's a safe culture. Men and women who know that deep in their bones. That's what we want. We want to have grace. We want to cling to grace. But more than just cling to grace, we want to do something. We've got to do something as Christians. And that takes us to our third point, intentional formation. And I'll be quick, but just to remind you the passage that Andrew read, it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The verb there describing the early church is they devoted themselves. It doesn't say, and they fell backwards into holiness. They tripped and stumbled into Christ-likeness. They happened upon humility. They devoted themselves. They were seeped in a Roman culture. We are seeped in American, Western, enlightened, individualistic, very, very, very rich culture. We're not going to just stumble our way into Christ-likeness. We're going to devote ourselves, devote ourselves, devote ourselves. The Bible says here to the apostles, teaching, fellowships, breaking bread, and the prayers. The Bible doesn't say, here's the template of how to do church. It just gives pictures of church done well. So here's the second thing I want to say. I want to pass it to X. What we're doing at Redemption North Mountain is not the way to do church. It's a way to live out the reality of Acts 2.42. Like my Lutheran friends, they love their Lutheran thing. It reminds me too much of being a Catholic who didn't know Jesus. So it's not my thing. 
But I don't want to dismiss churches around us, ministries around us, forms of church worship liturgy around us. We are choosing a way that we want to commit to devote ourselves. And that's why we hired this guy, other than his great hair. He's also a deep thinker and cares a lot about formation. So tell us about formation, my man. We both have curly hair. I know. I know. Similar. I have to change my haircut, so I'm much, much <laughs> like you. Okay. My kids uh, were talking about your hair over the weekend. What did they say? Great hair, and they said Dom looks like Jason Tatum's son. I don't know if that's Ooh. offensive to you or not. I don't not, know. It might be a good thing. Look him up, Anna. <laughs> All right, let's keep on going. So uh, when it comes to intentional formation, uh, we as a church have embraced some specific environments to help shape people. Uh, just one thing to be clear. We don't offer everything at our church. I think we know that. We're, we're <laughs> we don't do everything. It's not like a coffee shop in the weekday, and then it's also like a... So, we just do a few things. We want to do those things well. The first thing is we, we gather together as people. So this is Sundays. This is all of life. These are the times when our whole church is invited. We worship together, and we get equipped into following Jesus. Like, one of the things we always ask people is, first commitments first. Just come to Sundays. Just make that a consistent rhythm as part of your life. Even just that will shape you more into Christ-likeness. The second thing that we offer are uh, collectives and communities, um, and you're going to notice where we have all these, you know, C words and stuff, collectives, communities, church, redemption-y. So uh, this is our way of actually bringing people into closer community with each other so that you can know people's names, you can know people's stories, and you can walk with each other towards Christ-likeness. We can't do this on our own. We have to have people with us, people that are further along than us, people that we can actually help guide, and people that can walk alongside us. The next thing is we have classes. These are places that we can actually learn. We can be equipped with the things that we don't know yet. And through learning, actually apply those things to our life. And the last thing, I'm going to do this quick so I can share a little bit of the heart. But the last thing is our formation plan. This is two years, eight practices. And I'm going to share a little more about that in detail in just a moment. But this is kind of environment-wise. There's these things that we're doing, and we're inviting people to be part of this. And if you are part of this, kind of our heart is to go, we think that if you actually join these things, that five years from now, that you'll look back and go, oh, wow, I'm more aware of Jesus, and I'm more like him. So let me just share this. Uh, the thing that I care about the most when it comes to somebody walking in through our front doors, and this actually might be your first time here, so I want you to hear my heart. When people walk in through our front doors, the thing that I care about the most is that through community, through our simple local church, that as time goes on, you would tangibly experience new life in Jesus. That it wouldn't just be a thought or a theology in your mind, that it would be something that you are sincerely experiencing. Hope, peace, joy, love, new life in Jesus. So here's a picture I get for all of us in this church. And for the sake of analogy, I'm paraphrasing this story while I elaborate on some details. So there's a man named Carlo Corretto. He's a known spiritual writer, and he decided to become a hermit in the 1950s. He decided to intentionally separate himself from society for the desire and sake of knowing and being with Jesus. He was completely alone. Most of his days were spent in hours and hours of prayer and hours of being in God's word or in time of silence and work. He lived like this for 12 years. 
Now, I think we can imagine this would have been really hard in the beginning, but as time went on, I could see how this would have shaped him into Christ-likeness. He was known for his prayer life, and others went to him in order to shape their lives in a similar way. And here's where our part comes in. One day after this 12-year experience, he went to visit his mother. And he said that he came to a startling realization. That his mother, who, had, who for more than 30 years had been so busy raising a family that she scarcely had a private minute to herself, was more connected to Christ than he was. Here's the point I want to make. Unless your current reality is sinful, you don't need to escape your current life in order to experience closeness and depth with Jesus. Our whole framework and formation path is to lead us to develop the practices in our lives to grow closer to Jesus in our current reality. So whether you're a stay-at-home mom with three kids or you're a newly married couple or you're single or you're divorced or you're a college student or a doctor or a mechanic or an architect or a teacher or you're retired with grandkids, the hope is that if you're part of this church, you would get the tools to grow close to Jesus in your current season without having to escape your reality. That's our dream. In two, three, four, five years that you would tangibly be experiencing and living in new life with Jesus. So with that being said, I have good news and bad news. I always ask Anna, do you want good news, bad news first? She's like, bad news. I'm like, I'm just going to give you the good news. So <laughs> um, here's the good news first. The good news is, and I really do believe this, this is simple. Uh, for us to shape our lives around Jesus, I actually think that Jesus makes it intentionally more simple than we usually do. I don't think Jesus tends to overcomplicate things. In the same way, our church is inviting everyone that's part of our congregation to be part of this two-year formation plan that we are about a half a year into, where we're implementing eight practices into our daily, weekly, and monthly habits to shape our lives around Jesus. Like, in February 7th, we're having the Scripture All of Life Night, where we're going to kind of teach on how to apply that to your life. Here's what I really think. I think this is simple. Like Sabbath we did last year. All right. One day a week for 24 hours, I rest from my work. I think that's simple. <laughs> scripture. Okay, I, I apply scripture to my daily habits. I read it and interact with it in some way. I think mm. that's simple. Here's the bad news. This is not easy. I think it's simple. Like It makes sense. I think we know what it is. I don't think this is easy. Because like Josh said, this is not just going to happen. None of us are going to accidentally end up close to Jesus. This will only happen through attention, especially because there's a world, our flesh, and the devil all trying to lead us in the opposite direction. That's why we said this has to be intentional. So here's just quick little points. This is why I think this is not easy. Here are just three things I think are essential for all of us when it comes to health. The first one is we just need honesty. Every single one of us in this room, every one of us, has areas in our lives where we are unhealthy in relation to Jesus, every one of us. But that part of us won't change until we're willing to be honest and confess that. We just need to be able to be vulnerable, and I think that's one of the harder parts, is to say, hey, uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty unhealthy in this area of my life. Uh, the second thing is we, we need practice. I'll tell you what's easy. I think what's easy is us learning all the right words and learning how to talk about it on Sundays. Man, Sabbath is just a blessing to my soul. I think that's easier than 
than the hard work to get all your work done on six days so that you can rest on one day. But what gets us there isn't just grit and trying harder. It's us practicing, implementing small things to lead us in that place. Mm. Basketball coach used to always tell me, practice does not make perfect, but practice does make permanent. Like us just slowly doing things so we go, this is just part of my, my life now. And the third one is this, is I think this requires prayer. Um, Josh made a good point a couple months ago. He just said, you know, a lot, a lot of our prayers are unanswered because we're not actually praying them. Prayer opens up this space in us to say, I actually can't do this on my own. Most of us don't want to confess that. Like, we have to actually begin to go to God and say, I am dependent on you. I can't do this on my own, and I'm not shaping myself. The practices aren't our, like, algorithm to become like Jesus. It's our way to align ourselves with the heart of God so the Holy Spirit could do the work in us to make us more like him. But we need to be dependent on him by going to him in prayer through all of these things. By saying, God, you're actually the one that's leading me and guiding me, and you're the one that's enough. And the last thing that we need, just to be healthy, this is why it's not easy, is we just need a lot of patience. A lot of patience. The last one is time. We got time up there. So here's the question. How long is it going to take for you to arrive at maturity? Like, Give yourself a conservative guess. How long is it going to take you? I wrote some questions. How long did it take you to change your clothes this morning? As I get older, I'm 41 now, it's taking me longer. Jude can change in 12 seconds, and he's out the door. How long did it take you to move from your last house to your current place? That's a little more involved. You're, some of you are still unpacking. How long did it take you to adjust to a new life after significant loss? Like we went to the worst funeral we've ever been to in the last few weeks as a family. And I just keep thinking about their family. How, like, how long did it take you to adjust to being an empty nester? Some of you men are like half a second, and the Coors Light was popped. The moms are, <laughs> moms are like, please don't bring it up again. It's only been 12 years. <laughs> Here's what Christianity is asking for. The ultimate change for Jesus to be king of every aspect of your life. Every aspect of your life. Jesus is not in the business of handing out tickets to heaven. He does this to his disciples. Follow me. Follow me. Follow. But I got a lot of stuff, Rabbi. Go sell it all. Follow me. How long is it going to take for that to happen? Ray Ortland, the guy where I get the gospel safety time from, he says this. Here's what time means. We need enough time to rethink our lives at a deep level because people are so complex and change is never easy. How long will it take for Jesus to become king over your financial situation? Over your fears? Over your eating habits? Over your addiction or your ability to turn to substance so quickly? Like all of us in a common sense mode, just probably know, yeah, it takes time. But all of us then give us the benefit of the doubt, like, I don't want to do the hard work. And we just want to say, 
we want to do the hard work and we also be aware that it's going to take a long, long time. Healthy people change. Healthy disciples of Jesus change more and more into submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be about. And we're under a no illusion that we're going to solve this in your heart, my heart, our hearts in the next month, two months. This is a long, long process, but we want to do the work. And I think no verse captures the essence of this more than the Apostle Paul describing his life. This is what the Paul would say about the grace he received and his walk with Jesus. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. That preaches. That, that's a great tattoo to get. Nobody gets this next part. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Grace is not opposed to your effort. Dallas World say, grace is opposed to your thinking, your earning salvation. But grace wants your effort. Apostle Paul, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I... But the, God, but the grace of God that is within me. It's grace, it's time, and it's hard work coming from the grace that is in us. This is what we want. We want to pursue health together, gospel, safety, formation, and time. By the grace of God, we will say we are what we are. And his grace towards us was not in vain. And we, North Mountain, worked harder than anyone else. Though not us, but the grace of God in us. Amen? Let's pray together. God, we want to be healthy. All of us in this room confess we want to be more healthy than we are. And then talking about spiritual health and our walk with Jesus. Right now in our own minds, we know we're not what we were. We're not where we want to be. And yet we trust that your grace is not done. Your grace was not a one-time offer at the moment of our conversion. Your grace is the ongoing drive inside of us. That you are with us, that you are for us. That at our worst day, that does not leave us outside of your kingdom. But your grace has pulled us in, never to be let out. And now we as your children, like the Apostle Paul, get to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers so that we might be more healthy than we are now. So God, make this true in our hearts, in our homes, and in this church, Lord. We love you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.